we are at the very end of a, a little short study through uh, the ten plagues, or nine of them actually. We'll do the tenth one uh, next week. Um, and this is really cool because uh, throughout this whole week, uh, we were just kind of learning about all of these different Egyptian gods that Yahweh, the God of Israel, overthrows. And we're going to continue that study. And then as we go through that, my hope is for you to really see how good our, and powerful our God is. At the time of this recording, uh, most of America is like pretty much frozen. There's like snow everywhere. Um, and I think even looking at the, what's going on now, you can't help but wonder... You know, what are people placing their trust in? You know, are they placing their trust in power lines or or the, the climate or what they need to do to fix the climate or whatever it may be? There's sometimes people think there's a misplaced trust in, in these type of calamities. And um, oftentimes difficult things like this will show you that in, that there is someone more powerful and, um, than, and even unpredictable. Uh, an unpredictable sense that we don't know, and that is the the God of the Bible. We don't know the will of the Lord. We can't discern everything or the mind of God in that way. Uh, there are secret decrees and things that belong to the Lord, and only He knows. And there are things that we know, and what we know is always revealed in the Word of God. So, uh, as we continue on in this story, I want you to just think about how powerful our God is. Don't see these events as just you know some sort of fictitious story, but these are these actually happened. God controlled providentially and supernaturally so that uh, he can display his power to the Egyptians and even give assurance to the Israelites. And much like it was supposed to give assurance to the Israelites to hope and trust in, in the one true God, I hope that this is what this text will do for all of us. So today we're going to go through chapter 10 and 11. And there we go, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of, the, of his servants that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell uh, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I made a mockery of Egyptians of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am Yahweh. So again, this is the point of why he's doing all these plagues is to, is to humble the Egyptians and even to let future generations uh, know that um, Yahweh is the is the true God. Verse 3, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Then they, they shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. Uh, they will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail. And they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of all the servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither you, neither your father, nor your grandfather have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. He turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let him let the men go, so that they may serve Yahweh their God. Do you not realize the Egyptian that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, "Go serve the God of, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going?" So just to kind of summarize this portion. Uh, God tells them what's going to happen, and as what's funny is that the servants are saying, "Okay, okay, this is crazy. Uh, we've gone through uh, several months of all of these different types of plagues." 
and we know that it is because of Yahweh, yet you still choose not to do, not to uh, relent. Just let these people go. Let, um, let them leave so that we can leave, so we can survive. Otherwise, we will die. And, uh, and he brings in Aaron and Moses, and he's like, who's going to leave? And he tells them that who, who are the people that are supposed to leave. And verse 9, it should be like, it, it will be um, they're the young and the old, the sons and the daughters with all the flocks and our herds. Yeah, for we must hold a feast to so basically everyone and everything that they own. Then he said to him, Thus may be the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take ye for your for evil is your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord that uh, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of the Egypt, over land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come up upon the land and eat every plant, even all that the hail has left. Again, this is actually a divine mercy. Like the God, the fact that God actually gave them a little bit of, of sustenance left, and they, that's like all God's mercy here. He could have destroyed them, but he's always giving time for the wicked to repent. And we know from scripture that it is, that God does not desire the wicked to be destroyed. And he gives mercy after mercy undeservingly um, to these individuals, and yet they still do not uh, turn and relent from their pride. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord dis dis directed the east wind on the land all the day and all the night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. Again, this, is, this shows God's providential hand. Some things that he does are supernatural, like the, the dust to gnats, or even some would argue the hail. But in this case, this is really God's using providence. He's using, uh, he's using the wind. He's controlling the wind, and he's moving all these locusts in the land. Verse 14, the locusts came up over all the land and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. They had never been so many locusts, nor will there be so many again. And what is so interesting about this text is that this is almost like an assurance for Egyptians. When they're reading this, they, like as bad as it was then, they realize they should know. But based on the word of God, that they will they will have locusts again, but it will never be to that amount. So if they if this ever happens again, if they think, wow, this is just as bad as all the way back to, in Exodus 10, they can, you, we can say that we ever meet Egyptians. Like, no, 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 they're, the one that happened in, in Exodus 10 is way worse than what you have now. Um, and this is just locusts eating everything else. And it said that in verse 15 that they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees and all hail uh, that, that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left or a tree or plant for the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron. He said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sins only this once and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. And he, sent, uh, and he went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Now the God that uh, Yahweh defeated here is the God of Seth. He's the God of chaos and order. And basically the reason why things go horribly wrong or things go right is because this God is it's almost like when we think of karma. You know, he's just basically saying, Yahweh here is saying, no, I'm going to ensure that you might think you're doing the right thing by worshiping him, but I'm going to make sure that you have no control. Everything is eaten. They have no life. Everything is in balance. Seth is, the, is actually God of balance in, <clears throat> in terms of making everything equilibrium. And at this point, God shows him, nope, 
everything that you have is gone there's no equilibrium anymore you have no more food no way no way for you to survive um and then the and at the same time even knowing this pharaoh's heart was still hardened verse 21 then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land even a darkness which may be felt and that's that's a very scary thing to think about that there was no light and to the point where they could even feel the darkness like how do you contain light right like how, how like and it's even said that there's going to be like the israelites will have light but then there's just pitch black for everyone else it's almost like they had blindness but it isn't just like blindness they like they they couldn't see they, they couldn't see as if they're blind but there was actual darkness there so it was like it's almost like when we see eclipse and like only certain parts of the, the the places like bright and stuff i don't know how to even describe it but it's just like there's only one place in all of egypt that has light and that is where the israelites are dwelling they've seen verse one. <coughs> in verse 23 again this is almost like a foreshadowing of what israel is supposed to be they were supposed to be a light to the world that because of their faithfulness that the world will look at them in their in their darkness they'll only see one area <coughs> where there is light and that's israel uh but yet you know pharaoh in verse 24 as we see uh doesn't really repent uh pharaoh called moses and said go serve the lord god only let your flock and your prayers be detained <coughs> even your little ones may go with you so again pharaoh here is kind of bargain with moses he's trying to tell them that uh go uh, but you can't you can't take your cattle because you have money uh, resources that the egyptians could use and i think is also desperate too because they have no food at this time but moses said you must also let us have sacrifice and burnt offering that we may sacrifice them to the lord our god therefore our livestock too shall go with us not a hoof shall be left behind for we shall take some of them to serve the lord our god until we arrive there we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the lord and that's a, that's a wise saying he doesn't know uh we just know that we need to offer uh sacrifice to the lord we don't know how much we need but we're going to take all of them just in case at verse 27 but the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, beware, do not see my face again, for the day you see my face you shall die. Now I don't know why for some reason Pharaoh didn't make this threat before, but what's interesting about this is that this is indeed the last time that Pharaoh will go face to face with Moses. Um, and Moses said that, You are right, I shall never see your face again. Um, there's still going to be time with the, you know, the Passover and the plague and everything else. But he won't ever see him again face to face. Um, and that's and it's like a, there is a sense of like irony here that he, Pharaoh is more accurate than he thinks. He thinks that uh, this is what we call dramatic irony. If we've read through the whole book, we know that what this what Pharaoh means, but he doesn't know how right he is. Um, but the God that uh, Yahweh is trying to defeat here is a very popular God, even for us as like Christians. We should know this raw. He's like. He is actually their chief god. He is the god of, of the sun. And Yahweh essentially switched off the light and has showed them that the most powerful god is is useless. And this and again, this is again to show his power that he is the one true god. Which explains why in chapter 11, why God is, says that he's willing to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. Chapter 11. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of people that each man asks from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of gold, uh, of silver, and 
articles of silver and articles of gold. Uh, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord about Minam going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of the Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on, on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is to be behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as there has no not been before such as uh, such as uh, um, not has been before and such as shall never be again uh so again this was interesting the word great cry this is this is a reference back to the first chapter of exodus when all the israelites lost their kids um the cry here is going to be even worse it's going to be way greater than that Verse 7, but against even any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, they will, uh, they, that you may understand how the Yahweh makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. All these your servants will come down to me and bow the, themselves before me, saying, Go out, and you, all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he sent out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. Yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go uh, go out of his land. Um, again, we see here that the, there's a question here. Why are all the firstborns killed? And it's like I mentioned, you know, all of these Egyptians here have seen all eight of these plagues, or nine at this point. So they know definitively that their God has, their Egyptian gods have failed them. But yet some of these people are, are just like Pharaoh in that their heart is hardened in light of what they see. You know, just because you see a miraculous event doesn't mean that you're automa automatically going to be a worshiper of God. You know, you have to like actually believe him. You, even if you acknowledge that these things are real, if you don't have a real relationship with, with God, then it's completely useless. I think sometimes when non-believers look at the lives of Christians, they desire the things that Christians have in terms of, you know, like a joy and happiness and things like that, or even like a, nor like a community. They want these things, but they want it without the Lord. In fact, if you actually look at how liberal Christians or even non-believers, the things that they ask for about having, you know, a new, a new earth kind of thing, like fixing the planet and, you know, alleviating the poor, all of these things, these are actually things that Christians want. But the only difference between the Christian and non-Christian really is the fact that non-believers want the blessings of God without God himself. And we as believers, we know that God is going to fix everything and we need to be a good steward of all that we have and you know, minister to all the people that we have in our life, whether wealthy or poor. We want to be good testimonies all, uh, to them, regardless of where we're at. Um, but the, the world, they will see the blessings that we have and they would want it uh, and their hearts will still be hardened. You know, sometimes the things that we say, hey, what you, if you want a fulfilled life, you want meaning in your life, what you need is actually Christ. It's, nothing, it's not the, the external things that we have, but you need, you need Jesus. And people will oftentimes, even knowing that that's the answer, will still say no. And that's what's going on here. The Egyptians know that Yahweh is the one true God. And God is telling if they believe, and I think there's, it's implied and even before that some people did believe, um, others did not. And whoever did not believe, they're the ones who are going to lose their firstborn. Because when we look at the Passover, there's, you know, we'll see next week, 
that there is a specific task they need, that they need to do, and some of them are going to do it, and the people who hear and actually believe, their, their children are going to be spared. But the Egyptians, uh, if they believed, they would have been spared. But it seems like even though they had the opportunity, they chose not to, which again is not a lack of opportunity, but it's actually a lack of desire and a lack of faith. They chose not to believe in the word of the living God, which goes all the way back to in the beginning when uh, Moses said, Thus saith the Lord. Everything that, he, that Moses and Aaron, Aaron was doing, it was because God told them to do these things. And all the things that they said was what God told them uh, to say. And in spite, despite everything that they've seen, despite everything that they've heard, they still chose to harden their heart against the Lord. And I hope that if you're listening and you are a non-Christian, that you don't harden your heart as well. Then knowing what you know about what you just heard about who God is and how powerful he is, that this God is the same God in the, in the modern time. He doesn't change. Just because you don't see all these calamities happening immediately doesn't mean that God is absent. It's just because of God's mercy and grace that you and I have an extra breath. And if that's you, you haven't placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would plead with you, uh, to believe in Jesus who came into the world, lived a sinless and perfect life, uh, living the perfect life, fulfilling the righteousness of God that you and I failed to do, but yet nailed on the cross, dying in our place so that um, we so we can take our place uh, for the sins that we've committed and then rising again uh, three days later, signifying that our salvation is secure, that Jesus truly is the one true God and he's fully man, fully God, and that they that we have a future as a, with a resurrected body just like how jesus did and there's nothing that you can do to save you it's, it's all just faith in this one lord jesus christ turn from your works and trust in the works of jesus and for the rest of us that are believers may we remember that god that we worship is a powerful god and no matter how bad things are in this life we don't place our trust in things of the world or anything in this, that this world has to offer. We don't trust in signs more than we trust in the Lord. Well, I'm not saying don't trust in signs. I'm just saying that we trust the Lord more than those things. Um, and ultimately, where we place our faith is the one who's in control of all things. I hope that this is helpful. Next week, we'll look at chapter 12. And yeah, I think chapter 12 or, verse, or chapter 13, we'll see. Maybe both. Um, but yeah, it's gonna, it's a, it's, it gets worse for the Egyptians. Uh, uh, start the next chapter. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys all have a great weekend. Take care.